Our second scripture lesson comes from 2 Samuel chapter 24, which is found on page 288 in your pew Bible. This is the last story told about King David in the scroll of Samuel. Samuel 24, verse 18. That day Gad came to King David and said to him, Go up and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. Following Gad's instructions, David went up as the Lord had commanded. When Aruna looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming toward him. And Aruna went out and prostrated himself before the king with his face to the ground. Aruna said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? David said, to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord so that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Aruna said to David, let my Lord the king take and offer what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing sledges and yokes for the wood. All this, O king, Aruna gives to the king. And the Aruna said, May the Lord your God respond favorably to you. But the king said to Aruna, No, but I will buy them from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and offerings of well-being. So the Lord answered his supplication for the land, and the plague was averted from Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, not just what we ask for, but what we need, grant us in your mercy. May these words become your word to us this day, we pray. Amen. We are shaped by the stories we tell. They guide the way we see the world around us and how we respond to them. I tell my grandchildren the story of Goldilocks and the Three Bears, which is a lot of fun because I get to do all the voices of the different bears. But the story also makes it pretty clear that wandering into someone else's house is a bad idea. We tell stories of founding fathers and mothers in our nation about pilgrims seeking religious freedom or a constitution that declares all men are created equal. And we are shaped by those stories. On Memorial Day or Veterans Day, we tell stories of brave people who've given their lives for our freedom. We remember their sacrifices and their faith as a guide to being good citizens ourselves. In this place, we tell the stories of Scripture We even sing about the stories. I love to tell the story will be my theme and glory, to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. And we are shaped by the stories we tell. Our morning scripture lessons tell two powerful stories. 
In the first, King David wants to avert a terrible plague, and as ordered by the prophet, he goes to a hillside outside the city, which belongs to a plain farmer named Aruna. The king and his armed guards, that's who's with the king, men in armor with swords and spears, come marching up to this farmer in the field, and he is terrified and falls on his face. The king is seeking what is necessary to make a sacrifice, a burnt offering, a spot, oxen, wood, fire. The farmer stutters, O king, take whatever you want. I will give it to you. And David refuses. The king says, no, he will pay, for he will not offer to God a sacrifice that costs him nothing. And this is the last story called in the scroll called 2 Samuel. It's the story that sums up what King David has learned the hard way, that we do not trifle with God. I will only offer a gift that matters, says King David. Real worship means a real gift to honor God. In the second story, a pious person runs up to Jesus. I think that he is in a hurry with a very full calendar, but he wants to make a quick check of his spiritual portfolio. He wants to see how he is doing with the Almighty. And so he asks a question of the new visiting rabbi. What must I do to inherit eternal life? We quickly find out that he is a kosher and observant Jew, keeping all the commandments of Moses. I think he was expecting an attaboy and a pat on the back from Jesus saying, keep up the good work. But Jesus loved this person too much to leave him in his rut. So I imagine that Jesus plucks the blackberry out of his hand. I think he was probably checking messages while he was asking his question, multitasking, you understand. I think he plucks the blackberry out and tosses it aside and says, leave all that, come and follow me. Jesus has said this before. He says it all through the Gospels. He said this to Peter, and Peter followed. He said it to John and James, and they followed. He said it to Matthew, the wealthy tax collector, and he followed. Mary Magdalene and other women heard this invitation and followed. Later, the Apostle Paul will leave everything and follow this Jesus. What makes this story startling is that the person turns away and goes the other direction. He will not leave all his stuff to follow Jesus. He will not change his life for this Messiah. What he really wants is for Jesus to bless what he's already decided to do. Our lives are shaped by the stories we tell. I wonder, are there stories in your family that you tell about what it means to be a follower of this Jesus and what it may cost? 
Are there stories about making a gift that matters? Maybe someone tells the story of a grandmother during the Great Depression who used to feed any stranger who came to the back door by the kitchen even when there was not very much food in the house. Maybe there's the story of a parent or an aunt and uncle who took in someone else's child during a crisis, even though they had plenty of children of their own to care for. What are the stories that you tell in your family about people who have made gifts that truly matter? Gordon Cosby was a minister in Washington, D.C. when I was a young pastor, and he used to tell this story. When he first began, he was the pastor of a church in a small town, and there was a widow who was faithfully paying her tithe to the church, even though she had very little to live on. The elders of the church said to the new young minister, you go see that widow and you tell her that she doesn't have to make that gift to the church. Gordon said not knowing any better, he went to her house. He greeted her, he sat, they had tea together, they talked, and then he brought up the subject that the elders had assigned and told her that she no longer needed to make that gift to the church. And she became angry. She said, I am old now. I cannot get out anymore. I cannot do what I used to do for the church. But I can make my gift. Please do not take this away from me. Gordon told that story over and over again to remind us that people like King David want to give a gift to God that matters, that has real meaning to them as their way to honor God. Some stories shape our lives, and then our lives become part of the stories that others tell. When I first came to this congregation on a Wednesday night supper, the director of the crossover medical ministry spoke at the Wednesday night program. That was a ministry, and still is, that offers medical care to people in great need who cannot pay. She said that she came into the office one morning, and there was a message on the answering machine, and a man's voice said, I want to give a gift to crossover ministry. No name, no number. The next morning she came in, the same message. I want to give a gift to crossover ministry. No name, no number. The next morning she was in early. The phone rang and it was that same person. He explained that his name was Max. He lived in one room on the north side of Richmond. And he had been cared for over the years by the doctor at crossover ministry. And he explained, my mother died not long ago and she left me a few things and in her safe deposit box I found six gold coins and I want to give them to crossover ministry. So he rode his bicycle downtown and he presented the gift. It was worth about $5,000. But to him it was worth so much more because it was his chance 
to make a gift that mattered. So his story has become one of the stories we tell. Some people here remember our Faith in Action campaign of a dozen years ago, a capital campaign to raise funds to fix a number of things in our building that were aging or broken. But we determined that we were going to give away half of all the money that we raised. And so we raised more than $3 million, and we gave half away to ministries in this city and in other countries as well. We gave money to help the homeless, to help tutor children, to provide halfway house for women coming out of abusive relationships. We helped with a building of a Baptist church in Belarus. We did work in Nicaragua. And people tell stories about those gifts that we gave and the fact that we gave half our capital campaign away. That story went out and other congregations told it and made a similar decision to give away a major part of a capital campaign. We decided that we wanted to honor God by doing more than just taking care of our own place. And our story has now become a part of the story that others tell. We're entering stewardship season here at the church. It is fall, and as the Thanksgiving season approaches, we will have our dedication Sunday when we will honor God with our pledges for the year ahead. I like to kid the stewardship committee that we're not going to turn the heat on until all the pledge cards are in. (laughs) Just a hint. We give to say thank you for all God's blessings. We give because we know that God has taken care of us. We give because we want to be followers of Jesus. And we cannot do that if we are all wrapped up in ourselves and merely taking care of our own stuff. Like King David, we want to give a gift that matters, that truly costs us something. For that is how we show what has value to us. My wife Marcia and I make a pledge to this congregation every year It would be hypocrisy for me to stand up and say that you all should give and we not do so ourselves. It would be something close to blasphemy to talk about God's goodness and then not respond to that goodness with our own gift. It is a great privilege to be a part of this congregation and to give to God in this place. We are all asked to make a meaningful pledge. And I understand a meaningful pledge to be a pledge that we have prayed over, that we have talked over in the family, a pledge that costs us something, that affects our budget, that changes our priorities. When I was about 15 years old, I had a morning paper route on the north side of the city, I think I made 20 or $25 a week with that paper route. And so I gave a gift to the church out of what I made on the paper route. It was a meaningful gift to me. 
If I were still giving that amount today, it would no longer be meaningful. A pledge that has not changed over the years is a pledge that is becoming stale. We want to give a gift that matters. For that is how we show ourselves and God what is truly important. I'll close with this story. Fred Craddock tells about the time he was a visiting preacher at a church, and after the service, a van pulled up in the parking lot, and a group of teenagers got out of the van. They unloaded sleeping bags and bags of clothes, and they were dirty, and their hair wasn't combed right, and they were bleary-eyed, and they all sat down around the van. And Fred said, what is this? And someone explained, these are members of our youth group. They've been on a mission trip up in the hills helping another community build a church. Fred went over and talked to one of the young people and said, how you doing? And the young person said, man, I am really tired, but this is the best tired I have ever been. We all want to give a gift to God that matters, that honors God. And then others will tell stories about a generous people who follow Jesus. Thanks be to God.